We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 451 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jay Hilton, and not only am I back for from a much-needed little vacation that I took, but I am joined once again by Emil Evanesian for some listener questions, which we have not done in a while. But hey, it's a short little international break. Barca do play Elche on Saturday, but it was a little opportunity for just news to buzz enough for us to have listener questions and do those instead of trying to get into the, the doldrums of the transfer rumors and yada 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 who knows about that stuff so this is a shortened international break with unfortunately some injuries and nonsense of course what else to expect but i will start with an easy one here for these listener questions emil and this is just coming from me how's it going i'm well how are you Dan? i doing okay i think our questions aren't as difficult as they usually are right <laughs> and having come off a week where i did a lot of research on the busquette stuff potential replacements for him and then the keeney kidnapping you know, that was a lot of research, a lot of thought, a lot of everything. And I feel like these are a little more, I'm reading them. I'm only doing a little bit of research, you know, more off the cuff. So let's begin. Yeah, it's by, a little more freeform. Yeah, yeah. So let's begin by talking about this guy named, what's his? It's Ly, Ly, Lionel. Um, <laughs> if I, I'm not sure. But anyway, both um, Kadidish and Gled asked, would Messi's return logically make sense for Barcelona? It will emotionally, but has the team moved on to a different style? Which is... Kind of an interesting question, right? Could there, there's two ways to answer this, right? There's, is it good for Messi to return for Barcelona? Is it good for Barcelona to have Messi return to Barcelona? There's really two different answers here. And Emil, from either side, which would you say? I come at this from the emotional side, probably more than the tactical side. And I would say, yes, I would be delighted. I would welcome it with open arms. I mean, I, I do understand that the from a tactical perspective, one of the areas where Barca, at least for the moment, are the most shored up is kind of down the right side where Leo would like to go and cut back in with Dembele and Rafinha. So that, ironically, one of the places where they have, you know, not just a world-class player, but world-class depth, you know, is is a zone where Messi has operated in the past. But that being said, I think that... I don't know exactly what it would look like. I don't know how, how Javi would have to overhaul his formation and where he would put Messi. But it, as we've seen, Messi is still a world-class player. I mean, he's not... Okay, he's not 2012 Messi, but he is... He's still Lionel Messi. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how they can sort of give the impression of controlling games from time to time, but it feels like there's no actual cutting edge. There's no sting in much of what they're doing. I think Messi as as playmaker or, you know, sort of hybrid playmaker and, you know, periodic goal scorer, I think is a very much what, what they need. I mean, where they, where they place him on the field, I think would be an open question, but I think his return... Um, on the pitch, I think could be useful if they can answer that vital question. And I think also just, you know, with the just the insane amount of turmoil that continues to swirl around this team, you know, we get a little respite and then you get one thing or the other. I, I genuinely do think that it would be a a little bit of a no strings attached feel good reunion. And, you know, if if Messi wants it, that would be great. 
And because it's, you know, it's not like the season where the season before he left, where he was openly talking about wanting to leave, but prevented from doing so. And then the other, then the following season when he wanted to stay and essentially was unable to stay, it would be nice to have Messi here with the club wanting him here and him wanting to be here and kind of having all of those, all of those feelings align. And yeah, I mean, I think the sort of the reunion in, in this twilight of his career, I think would be kind of a fun, beautiful thing. Well, we're going to talk about with a lot of other questions, other players in this, because to me, this is really a domino effect, right? If Messi comes back, mm-hmm. what does that mean for, as you mentioned, Dembele, Rafinha, Ansu, Ferran Torres, Pedri, Gabi, basically mm-hmm. anybody that could occupy any of the spots that Messi would occupy on the field, including even Lewandowski. So what would that mean for all of those different players? Uh, again, I think we have a lot of different questions that are going to answer some of the things, regardless of whether or not Messi is back, right, for those players and what next season might bring. So for starters, like, I'm still not sure economically how Barcelona can afford him. Like even with the wage limit going up, I'm not sure what the wage, what the wage say limit, but what the lowest wage possible Messi could take would be. And whatever that number is, I think that still might unbalance. I mean, and who knows if the league doesn't choose to to go out and try to change those rules on the fly anyway. Like yeah. it, the idea of Messi returning, which why would the Liga poo-poo that? But I mean, you could see them trying to do that the way that Barcelona and the Liga are currently in disagreements. But for anyone who doesn't think that, you know, the reason why the style changed was because Messi left, right? And then they had to figure out basically what's the new option because we brought in Lewandowski and now we have a number nine who's very stationary. So Dembele has got to be the new man on the wings. Our wings are wider mm-hmm. and we're adapting to not having Messi. And that means that it's a heightened responsibility for Gabi and Pedri as high interiors and things like that. So I don't know where Messi would fit in this new style, right? It, in theory, it'd be as a high right interior, but Pedri defends for his life. So does Gabi mm-hmm. on the other side. So it's like you can't have Messi in one of those positions. So then do you stick him as a false nine? I and mean, that doesn't really work. They want a stationary number nine to play off of right now with Lewandowski because then again, you're selling Lewandowski, right? And then on the other side mm-hmm. of the right wing, you do have Dembele and Rafinha and Messi, and as we'll probably talk about throughout this show, that that would certainly mean the end for one of those players, certainly Dembele and Rafinha, and then the other one, probably Dembele, would stick around, and he would move to the left wing, and then that means that, I mean, again, Ferran Torres and Ansu, they both went out of future there anyway, but that means nobody else will be brought in. And then off the field stuff, you know, I agree with you. Sentimental stuff says that that would be great and all that, but it definitely, yeah, it would reshake that locker room completely, and you do wonder... Mm -hmm what the ability that team has to kind of elect new leaders and how slow that process has been and what that still might mean in Europe. You know, we, we say that the injuries at a back line and that the team is behind Xavi and they are kind of turning over a new leaf when it comes to leadership and things like that. But Messi's role in the team, if anyone who thinks he's just going to come in and, you know, be a bench player or, or choose to be this guy on the sideline, no, he's going to come in that locker room. He's going to become the captain. He's going to become the main voice again. And again, you're not losing Busquets for another year. So he's going to go right back to being his number two. Abba has a year left and Roberto just extended. So what does that mean? Does that mean that Ter Stegen goes back from being a, a captain to not being a captain? And there were always rumors that him and Messi weren't the best of friends, but they weren't in opposition to one another. But, you know, with Ter Stegen being the new fourth captain, Araujo already starting to fulfill certain leadership roles on the field. I mean, how does that fit into the locker room hierarchy? I, I don't know if that's a net positive, as crazy as that sounds. Messi, the guy who led his team, Argentina, to the World Cup and is the consummate leader, it seems like, in modern football. I think for better or worse, everyone would immediately fall in right behind him. And I don't think that's worse. I think there is a better situation there. But what I also think that does is I does it's a good thing as it's happening. But I think it again puts the club's leadership for the future in stasis. I think it but again puts the club's future in stasis because it just just become around Messi again. And I think, again, that's a good thing in the moment that you're living it. But then again, you blink and say, is it great to have our team revolved around Messi once again on the field? Well, whether it's on the field or off it, right? I think it's both. And, and I just, I, I just, it's this weird thing that it's like, can you continue to expect him to be that magnanimous presence for a club, whether he deserves it or not, because he does, he deserves it. The fans deserve it. Everybody deserves it. But again, like so, it's good for the future. Where I come down on this, uh, funnily enough, your your point about not Messi so much, but Busquets, Sergio Roberto, and Jordi Alba, essentially, you know, if Messi comes in and, you know, those three are going to be around. And so essentially it just becomes, you know, like they kind of get the tribute act back together and you got to figure out what to do with the, 
the talented high-priced newcomers and essentially the Gabi, Pedri, Araujo, like brilliant young core, how, how you allow them to maintain a foothold and be significant members of the team and not simply extras in the Messi show. I mean, ironically, I think it would be fine if maybe two of the other three of the old guard weren't around. You know what I mean? So hypothetically, if it was Messi and Jordi Alba or, you know, Messi and Busquets or even Messi and, well, the, you know. the first The first comment you said was the one that I'm least enthused about. The Messi-Alba combination seems to be the one. I'm not, I'm not on that one. Oh, look, I, I am too, but I, I think, but I think, I think the locker room and the, the on-field product and just kind of the, the general vibe of the team, I think could, could stomach two of those, mm-hmm. you know, messy plus one. Mm-hmm. And I mean, ideally for me, it would probably be, it would have to be either Messi and Busquets or, you know, in a, maybe the neatest fit, quote unquote, in a way would be Messi and, Ser- and uh, Sergio Roberto because Sergio Roberto doesn't sort of demand selection in a way that, yeah. for example, Busquets does. So you kind of have his elder statesman, old guard presence, but he can be the bench guy and the this sort of pseudo Swiss army knife type and a substitute or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I agree. Having those three or those four together would potentially stunt the, maybe the development of some of the young guys and maybe even just the kind of the, coalescence of of the team as a whole i mean i i don't necessarily know the the one the one thing that i that i do wonder is and you know, no no one knows kind of truly what's in messi's head because i mean he's probably as inaccessible you know his, his opinions are probably as inaccessible as those of any megastar that, that we know but i am curious both in terms of i mean he and he and pedri in the short period that they were together prior to Messi's departure, that looked like it had the potential to just be like a, a glorious tandem. And he clearly held, you know, he respected Pedri's game and just despite his age and everything like that, he held him in high regard. So, and I'm curious what this sojourn in Paris has done and also what winning the World Cup, I mean, I know Angel Di Maria was there, but without the the real kind of old guard of Argentinian football, I am curious what Messi's perspective is and what his role and what his desired role would be on this new look Barca, having sort of done what he's done over the last two plus years. Yeah, I mean, he'll be 36 in June. So it's like, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's age, age, uh, father time, you know, waits for for no one. And you do yeah. wonder, right, that we're going to get that in a second about Lewandowski. But when you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Pique and Puyol or Pique and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. 
because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit here with these questions. That was, I think, the big, the big taste of the yeah. main, the main course there. But so, question from Abbas: With the injuries piling up, should we be worried the league may slip from our hands? And this comes off, unfortunately, the bad news: Andres Christensen could be out for a month, which mm. is Elche, Madrid in the Copa, Girona, Hadafe, Atleti, Rayo, and Real Betis. Maybe Osasuna in May, and then the season closes out with Espanyol, Real Sociedad, Valladolid, Mallorca, and Celta. So the way the table reads at present time, which can obviously change as well. So, and that's also not counting the Madrid match because that's in the Copa del Rey. That's six matches against the top 10 in the league. And that's six against the bottom 10 in the league at the moment, which is an interesting split as well. It's not like you'd say that their schedule is overtly difficult. It's also one of those where I think the depth of the team is good enough to manage to figure it out the rest of the way. So if you had to ask me, gun to my head, do I think that Barcelona are going to let the league slip away? Why well, I don't want to jinx it. They are up by 12 points and they yeah. have 12 games remaining. And I think, yeah. they, as I talked about with 100 points, I think they are closer to history than they are, even with these injuries. I still think they are closer to history than they are to letting this league slip away. With 12 points, like it's just there's too many available points against teams that have not proven that they can get points off Barcelona this season. Even Barcelona, like, limping their way to the finish line. I think, like, that stretch of Atleti, Rayo, and Real Betis, I mean, that's questionable, but even that is, like, three L's is, is nine points. Like, that's it. And then, like, and then you have a stretch of, I mean, Osuna's tough, too. So, like, four games, sure. Yeah. Then you have Espanyol, and then Real Sociedad is tough. But then you have Espanyol, Valladolid, Mallorca, and Celta. It's, like, you know, then... I mean, the way that Mallorca and Celta are, uh, Celta are yeah. can give you a tough one. But again, like those are also not games that, you know, especially with the with the league that close, because again, those are your final two, Mallorca and Celta. So with the league that close, I don't I don't believe that Barca can let it slip. No, neither do I. I mean, look, for example, what is it? There, so there's 12 matches left, theoretically, of Barcelona. There, so there's 36 points left to left to get. If in these last 12 matches, Barca win four and draw five, right? I mean, that would be, that would be awful. And, but that would still be 17 points tacked onto their 12 point lead. So, I mean, yes, theoretically, you know, if Madrid went on an absolute heater, they could, they could topple that. But the, no, I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to lose an average of one point per match day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and coming back against Elche is, that's very fortunate. You know, that, that's that's great. And well, the one thing that I was actually just looking at too, so in addition to the Copa del Rey, I mean, what could work in, I don't actually have a concern that, that Madrid are going to mount some sort of challenge or, you know, threat to this lead. But even if they were, if they were going to, um, you know, I, ironically, I'm sure Madrid will, Madrid fans will uh, absolutely love my saying this. But, you know, they have the Champions League to worry about. And, you know, there's going to be... They have to go away to Cadiz before the second leg against Chelsea. And they host Villarreal before the first leg against Chelsea. And you you can see Madrid... I'm not saying that they're punting the, the rest of the season. But 
they they are who they are. I mean, even when the even if the title were up for grabs, they care more about the Champions League than they do about La Liga. So, I mean, it would not shock me if they dropped two, even four points in those two matches. And you figure they'll probably be okay against Celta coming off of the the second leg in in London. But you know, I mean, these are still emotionally charged, and you don't know what happens in those Champions League games that could. Absolutely, you know, either emotionally send someone, you know, sky high or so no, I don't I don't think there's any realistic risk of that. Not least of all, because I'm pretty sure that in a moment of honesty, if you were to ask you know, Real Madrid, they'd probably say, like, you know, yeah, we've we've written it off. Uh we're yeah. we're we're chasing the Champions League. Well, I think most likely in that Celta match that one of the best young players in Spain this year in Gabriel Viega is yeah. likely gonna have a great match against Real Madrid, then they're just going to sign him in the in the summertime. Yeah, they're just going to leave $80 million in cash. Yeah, just... That's likely what's going to happen. They're going to draw <laughs> that match or lose that match. He's going to play great. Then they're just going to buy him for, <laughs> yeah, gobs, gobs of money again for Celta against their wishes. So next one, Fernando. Why will Barcelona win the Champions League next season? And why won't Barcelona win the Champions League next season? Essentially, one of the positives when it comes to Barcelona nearing European success and one of the negatives preventing that from happening next campaign. Now, I feel like the reasons why they would win it, that's just an easy one. I think there's a world where they have one of the strongest and most balanced 11s in world football. And I think that's why they win it. I, I think you look at their top 14, and I can say that their top 14 can pretty much when healthy compete with anybody around the world. In these one-off games in the Champions League, again, they, luck has not been been by their side. But I think with the belief that Xavi has gained in that locker room and when they're playing well on their day, especially with Dembele healthy, with Pedri healthy, then I think that's the reason why they can win it. And then the two reasons why they won't win it. My number one reason is that the team that, I mean, the opposite of that is that the team still doesn't have funds to survive one or two costly injuries and one or two injuries just cost them. And they don't have enough to get to, to, to make up the ground for that because they bad what at players 16, 17, 18, the drop-off is just too big depending on the position and they can't replace certain players. And then part two of that is that Lewandowski's age does kept catch up to him. Like he has three years left on this deal and there is this world where who he is today, like this is really the only Lewandowski talk I'm going to do, but there's this way that who he is right now and who he's been since the World Cup break, maybe that's who he is right now because that's who he's going to be. That's what happens to great goal scorers. Like there is a, not even a little bit of a drop off. There isn't like, you don't ease into that slope. It is like a cliff. And if Lewandowski, you know, it's a big if, but if Lewandowski has in some way hit that proverbial cliff, I mean, that's how Barcelona don't win the Champions League because they don't really have that that goal score. Like, you don't know. the the There are those connections, of course, to Messi or to Vita Roca. But, I mean, Vita Roca, to say, oh, he's the reason why he would come in and they'd win the Champions League. No, he's, he would be bought to potentially back up Lewandowski and he might even cover, come over next year. Like, they might even purchase yeah. him. Uh, but, I mean, apparently he would be like a Kylian Mbappe from Monaco to PSG deal where they agree to buy him the following summer. So they loan him for a whole Oh, year. you get him on a loan and, and then, then, you, then you pay him. Then you have to buy him for a bigger number the next summer, which is, again, not great business from Barca. But I think those are my reasons for why Barca can win the Champions League and why they wouldn't. I think it's it's as simple as that. That like If they have everybody healthy, they can do it. If they don't and they're not deep enough, then they can't. Like They won't. They just There's too much of a drop-off still, especially if they don't have the money in the offseason to fortify those four or five positions. And again, the extensions to Roberto, the extensions for Alonso, do make me think the club is already posturing and setting themselves up to not having the money required to enforce uh, to reinforce the team. Yeah, so that makes sense. And so your your rationale for why they could win the Champions League, I mean, I think yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, just one through eleven. I mean, you can even say maybe one through you know kind of thirteen or so. Yeah, this this team can compete with anyone. This team, as currently constituted, can compete with anyone on their day. Unfortunately, I mean, I think the reasons why they won't win it, the ones that I can come up with are, unfortunately, kind of varied. And not all of them are currently reality, but they are varied and manifold and, you know, kind of and lingering. I mean, one is this team has had, you know, for years now, I mean, with, with the exception of recent Classicos, I mean, the last big stage game against top tier opposition that they I mean that they won. Never mind that they played exceptionally well in and won I mean I don't remember what 
I, I can't remember if you take any, you know, you take the Supercopa and, you know, these various Madrid games out. I mean, I don't know what that was. I mean, so I think there's that, like that barrier that whether both, I mean, psychological or whether it's tactical or some combination of the two that needs to be broken down. And secondly, I think it's, we see stuff, you know, you're reading that offers are going to come in for Christians in this, you know, this off season. And as you said, you know, before the season and even early, the, the first, whatever, third of the season, when you and I spoke, we spoke of Robert Lewandowski as though this season and next were him as a world-class top three, top five striker in the world were effectively a done deal. It's more so the third and fourth years of the contract that you have to worry about. But if this is the Lewandowski that you have, well, that's a problem because as things stand now, this team lacks the kind of the, the ruthless cutting edge to, mm-hmm. you know, to really put teams away. I know they're doing it, but the winning every game 1-0 is it's a rough way to make a living. And Yeah, there's too many game-winning so, goals by Pedri, too many game-winning goals by Rafinha. I mean, and by that, I mean there's enough to win the Liga, but there's just too many yeah. that are sustainable. To say that those things are sustainable. But yeah, to, to run the gauntlet of whatever it is, Chelsea, Man City, and Bayern, and yeah. Napoli, and Inter, and this and that. I mean, just you need to be able to put these teams away. And well, not only that, but you've got to be able to beat some of them three two. Like you've got to be able to yeah. to beat them on the margins like that, where you're surviving by one goal, but you're surviving having scored three. Like that's what some of those Champions League nights are going to be. So a big player to talk about next, and now we're going to start to talk about the finances a little bit here. Xavier asks, how far away is Frankie De Young from fulfilling his price tag? And I actually, for you and me, I want to split this one apart and answer it twice. So I think there's his price tag which was around 86 million euros when he was signed and his wages, which is reportedly the most in the team at 37.5 million with a 6 million euro bonus per year. Because I think when you're talking about 86 million euros, is he worth that price tag? I think you're awful close to that or whether you're over that line or not as far as like, is he worth it? But then when you talk about 37.5 million plus 6 million euro bonus, I looked around world football. It's physically impossible. It's physically impossible. Like he would have had to have won them every Champions League since he arrived at the club. <laughs> and he had to do it as their best player, as their top goal scorer, as their top assist getter. 37.5. Well, I say that, but Busquets also makes 37.5 million. So those two together would have would have to be the top goal scorers, assist getters, top tackles. Like they would have had a goalkeeper, like they coach, manager. Like those two would at that number, 37.5 million. That is an unconscionable number. And it's impossible for any two players to, ever fulfill that number of weekly wages like it's just it's, it's undoable unless literally unless you are messy like that is the only answer like and then Ronaldo when he was at Real Madrid those are the exceptions and I guess I mean I mean even Mbappe at at, at PSG he has not won them a Champions League so he is not worth 37.5 million a year that's that number is impossible so but then there's also his when you say price tags if we're just talking 80, 86 million euros has he made good on that number comparable to the rest of the players who've been transferred yeah. those similar numbers. So there's a funny thing when you talk about the wages, and I realize you can't sort of disregard them or discount them because whatever, they count. They're a big part of this, you know, financial problem that bars are in. But whenever, but in, in this type of a conversation, when we're talking about the, the legacy sort of Bartomeu era wages, I almost find it difficult to address those numbers because it, it, it almost feels to me like, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to absolutely date the hell out of myself here, but it feels like sort of two years after the dot-com bubble burst and, you know, yeah, and yeah. every tech stocks we, like, we, we all, you know, about what the dot-com uh, bubble burst. Oh was. yeah. <laughs> so there was once a time where the internet was new and, and, the world was and black and white. I do remember those times when, and anything that tangentially was related to the internet sent a stock into the stratosphere. But it was, you know, but it was one of those things you'd look at the all time high, you'd look at the charts and you'd be like, wow, this thing was 650 bucks for a minute back in 1999. But like, it, it doesn't, that doesn't kind of equate to anything in the modern reality or barely equates to anything in the reality as it was then. I mean, I don't know what kind of 
you know, drunken sailor juice Bartow was on, but that was, mm -hmm. I mean, so those numbers are, yeah. So that's, that's astronomical. It's asinine, but the, the transfer fee, I think so, particularly this season. And now when you see him, he looks a lot like the player that not that we thought we were getting that we hoped we were getting. And he's, he's playing comfortably with confidence and very effectively. And, you know, when, when you don't think of a player a lot during the flow of a game, now sometimes it's because they're, you know, being marked out of a game or they're just, they're playing anonymously. And other times it's just because they are almost washing over the game and they're just kind of, they're flowing with it and they're just doing everything that needs to be done without necessarily making your eyes pop out or calling extra attention to themselves. And I think he's exactly that kind of player. He's what was advertised. You know what I mean? Like what he's doing now is what it said on the label when they, when they brought him in. And yeah, I, I mean, I think he's great. Yeah, it's difficult though, because this is year four. So it's like, if you had asked me this two years ago, the answer probably would have right. been no. If you ask me this now, I mean, especially when he was basically pushed out of the club because of his wages, not because of the price tag, but because of his wages, pushed out of the club in preseason and then fought his way back, said, I'm not leaving, even at my number. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I look at that price tag and say, what if his wages were different? Because yeah, if he's on... 11 million a year or 12 million a year, then of course, like he's worth it. Yeah. I say he fulfills it, but because of those numbers, I just, I don't know, but okay. So Peter says injuries have severely limited the upside of this team this season, which seems shocking because one of the first things Xavi did when he arrived was to revamp the medical team. Now it has been over a year since the new medical team stepped in and we have a big sample size. Do you think that we can say they are an improvement over the previous medical team? Now, <laughs> Peter, the tough thing about this one is that Ricard Pruna, who I had mentioned he returned to the club with Xavi in 2021 after being, we'll say, pushed out. But he mm -hmm. was pushed out in September of 2020. So there was actually more overlap under him as the medical like leader than you think. Like He had most of Dembele's career as well, right? So like yeah. Dembele finding like renewed <laughs> himself or to, to getting over these injury woes, that being Dembele, he both got hurt and couldn't figure it out under Pruna. And then he got healthy and figured it out under Pruna. So it's like the medical team is kind of very, very similar. The only thing I will say though, and you know, yes, I was supposed to be on vacation, but I did talk to one of my great friends. I've mentioned on the show before who he works as the sports science data doctor at a state of the art sports lab for a huge college football program, which is mm -hmm. as listen, the money in that is as similar to, and sometimes in, in a lot of cases more than professional football teams, like especially in Europe, right? So he is working in cutting edge technology here. And we were talking about that, about the role of data and science and the relationships between mm -hmm. the coaches and, and somebody like him in his position, again, trying to use sports science to kind of convince the coaches of certain things of what to do with players and the like, mm -hmm. um, especially on the muscle side is where he is, soft tissue and things. But I, I think what he kept bringing up was that you know, as much as you can have a state-of-the-art system where you can be the leader in these spaces, there is a constant push and pull between coaches and the medical staff. And that is like a constant fight. Mm -hmm. And what it sounds like is it wasn't a revamp of the medical staff, of their, their positions, their beliefs, the reports that they had read, the sports science that they're trusting because, you know, different staffs trust different numbers and things like that. But it doesn't sound like that has changed. It just sounds like Xavi is a bit more open to the idea of allowing Pruna to kind of just be the guy, right? Because Pruna was mm. kind of this big figure when Xavi was coming up. Like Xavi as a player put trust in Pruna, and I think you're seeing that continue. And it isn't necessarily even that Setien and Kuman. I mean, you know, Kuman I think is a little less trusting. You know, he's a bit more old school. He's a bit more like what I the coaches I kind of had growing up, which was like they were smoke guitar uh, cigars in their pickup trucks, like in, when I played baseball, like in between yeah. the bats, right? So it's like yeah, rub some dirt on it, these, and just... right? They were not like these, you know. I did not put them on a pedestal for for health, right? Like they were not, they were not about that. So, but there are, I think, in especially modern football, I think Xavi is trying to be a much more like modern manager in that way and trusting mm -hmm. his sports science, trusting all that data. And I think it just is kind of unfortunate that three of your most five important players that being Arahu, Dembele, and Pedri, are injury-prone. Like, there are players yeah. in the course of their, their careers that they just cannot stay healthy. And those three, unfortunately, are three very, very good, very, very important players who just are not going to stay healthy. Like, I know Arahu's healthy now, but he won't be. Like, every year, every year he misses, what, between five and eight matches, and it's just you have to mark that down. I think Pedri's almost the same way at this point, where you have to say, in a healthy year, he's going to miss between five and ten matches 
in the course of 50 matches or 45 matches, whatever the, the full slate is. Like, he's going to miss those, especially when you play him so many minutes. And then Dembele is the same way. If he's a important every-game starter, central figure of your club, he's going to miss between 8 to 12 games a year. Like, it's going to happen for all three of them. And that's why your team has got to be deep enough to survive the injuries to really crucial, important players, regardless of what Pruno wants to do. I know I didn't answer the question at all, Peter, but I think that's just the nature of it. There are so many variables that go into player injuries and things like that, that I don't know. It's easy when, you know, when one team, guys are always getting injured, particularly if they're getting re-injured, it's very easy to be, to point the finger at the, the medical staff. Because, yeah, I mean, ostensibly their job is to to keep these guys intact and upright and playing. But I think it's a, it's like you've said, I mean, on the, on the one side, yeah, there, there have been injuries this season. I feel like it's less of a horrifying walking wounded situation, but it, the, the three that you, that you mentioned, it's not weird for a football team to have three players injured at this time of the season. It's usually the case. I mean, usually you have yeah. between three and the, seven players are, yeah. are injured. And at this point, most players are carrying small little knocks of, any kind. The problem is that these are arguably your arguably your three most important outfield players, or yep. three of your four or five most important. So, I mean, the, as we were talking, I came up with the obligatory NBA comp. But I mean, it's almost like if if you had a lineup of well, I mean, you look at the Lakers; it's like Anthony Davis and late period LeBron. You know, <laughs> just you know that yeah. If you get sixty five games out of each of those guys. Know, and whatever, throw Joel Embiid in there too. You know, I mean, but it's, you know, it's it's great when they're all there, and you you hope that the healthy periods, either the healthy periods align where you yeah. know you have a you have a juggernaut when everyone's clicking. I mean, well, or basketball, I mean, basketball's a little different though because you have like quiet. Yeah, it's only five guys on the court. I know. Right, where but it's, it's like you're you're leading yourselves. Like all you have to do is make the playoffs, right? And then you have Kawhi Leonard. Like, hey, I know you didn't play most of the game, but yeah. you play now. Oh, Kawhi's a yeah. right. So like, he's he's the epitome of that. But in, in football, because it is a marathon and none of it's a sprint, like you just need to keep guys yeah. healthy long enough to get results. So then you know you hope things work out. Well, I think it's what you said. Like with the Clippers, it's an interesting thing because like you know, as I'm thinking about it, it's like they don't have a ton of injuries, but like every injury they seemingly have is either Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's when all of your injuries seem to afflict your very most important players, it's just yeah. a completely different minefield to, then, to navigate. And then we're going to transition into Ansu and Farron here because mm -hmm. I think, and this is the, the transition to use here, is that there definitely is, I think, a positive thing about Pruna and what has been revamped is that I have a bit more faith that when it comes to those big decisions that need to be made, like, yeah. do, do, does the player have surgery? What's the, because again, there's no right answer in a lot of these cases. Like, like with, there never was with Demolay. There hasn't been with Antu. Like there are these forks in the road where you go, okay, that's path A, that's path B. We don't even know exactly how that treatment's going to go. How those, uh, it, do they have surgery? Do they not? And I do have a bit more faith in Pruna and his medical staff than I did even for that year and a half that he was gone, where it just felt like nobody could commit to like what, like what was the actual right choice? Like for so much actually of Ansu's injury, like what was the right choice here and the player and his agent and his family, you know, believing that maybe the right choice were not made on his behalf, but okay. So Albert asked the transition to Ansu here. What are we honestly going to do with Farron and Ansu? There doesn't seem to be an opportunity for them to get any minutes that would allow them to reach the level of the confidence. Everyone is hoping to see Jose also asked where in the world is Ansu Fati? Why doesn't the staff trust him anymore? I'm going to make you answer the answer, the Farron Torres part. I'm going to answer the answer part. And then you can add to that too. But for Farron, yeah, it's, I don't, we don't need to go there. We've done that before, but for Ansu and this week, he's obviously in the news because it's the international break. Why would he not be? So it continues to be to a point where not even from the outside, people asking about Ansu, but internally as well. Matteo Lalamani on Monday, without being yesterday, meeting with the player's father, Borde Fati at the Camp No or at the uh, Ciudad Esportiva. So a meeting also had come to play last week with Jorge Mendez, which is his agent. And it has been leaked that he has been offered to several players in uh, several teams in the Premier League on previous occasions. Ansu has kind of buckled down and said, no, I want to stay at Barca. The club has said so. So it's just, it's one of those things where they're testing his market. And that happens to players all the time. Like, I, I mean, for example, Rakitic every single year. Like, no, no lie. At Rakitic, if you look back, he was linked to Premier League clubs every single season. Like his player, his agent offered him. He was like, 
what's happening. And then he always returned and the club, there was never concern. Like he was always at the club to the point where Kool-Aid's were like, why can't they get rid of him? <laughs> when in fact, it's like offered every year. So regardless of what we say though, like my, my gut instinct at this point, at the end of March, beginning of April, is that he is going, that being Ansu is gone this summer. I know that Laporte has a good relationship with Jorge Mendez, and I think letting Ansu go for a big number is going to be part favor for Mendez, but Mendez also doing a part favor for Laporta and getting a huge fee for Ansu that can be used immediately to heighten the wage limit. Again, it's not that Barcelona are bankrupt and desperately need money. It's that that transfer money in that season, the next season, can be immediately used to heighten the wage limit, which means you can now afford to fit more players in that weight structure. And if, if, Fer- if Frankie Young, as we mentioned, if Frankie Young doesn't leave and he stays at 37.5, it makes everything very difficult. Same thing with Jordi Alba. If Jordi Alba stays at 20.8 for another season, everything becomes impossible. Like look around the other, like the rest of weight limits in, pro- in football. And then we also mentioned Messi. If Messi returns, I think Antu is gone even quicker. Like I know they play different sides of the field. Like it doesn't matter. I think that forward rotation, Antu is just an odd man out, musical chairs. I think alone is probably the best move. But I think it's also hard to imagine a player of that name cachet doing that and coming back to the club. Because if he hits at whatever club he goes alone to, let's say he goes, not even Real Sociedad, like Martin uh, Martin Odegaard or something when he's coming up to Real Madrid, but let's say he goes to, I mean, what is his level, right? Is it, is it, it's not full limit, it might be better than that. Like, let's say even Brighton, like a top 10, I don't know, even then, like, would he ask for Chelsea or Arsenal? I mean, I think that's really what you're talking about. Like, if you're going to Barcelona, like you're going to Bayern or you're going to, I mean, or AC Milan, or you're going to maybe even Inter. Like, I mean, anyway, but let's say he goes to Inter Milan, right? And then he does well. I think they find the other club, they find a way to make it permanent more than he returns to Barcelona. Like, oh, I'm renewed. I'm confident again. Now I'm going to return to the, bar- to, to the camp. No, like, no, I found a new home. I found my football there. I'm a main figure in this team. I want to make, this is where my career is now. And it's going to be a club that's going to be willing to pay big money to get him eventually. So I, I just, I don't see as much of the loan, I think is the best move for him, for the club, for everybody. I don't know. Like, I think if he, the minute he steps out that door, which is what it seems like he needs to do for his confidence, I don't think he steps back in the door. And it sucks. I love Ansu. Like, I'm going to give you a second. I, know. I, I, I want to, I want I to poke holes in that thing. logic. Desperately. Desperately. Because I, I, I mean, feel like I'm a Debbie Downer, but I, I just, that's, it's just, it's my gut. Like, it's my gut yeah. to say that like football is a business. And as much as I hate to, to, to kind of admit certain, like, I'm not, I'm not getting on onto, like, I would love to do what the club did with Dembele. And that's wait two more years. Like I never jumped off Dembele. Like I never did. I was like, listen, he, there was something there. He, he his, his transfer fee was too high, but like they gave him what five years to figure it out. And he finally did. And then ever, it's just revisions history where everyone gets to say, well, I didn't want to kick him out. And everyone did. Everyone, everyone wanted everyone to kick him out. out. Right? And I like, and I got hate on the internet for like not pushing him with two hands out the door. And it's the same thing with Ansu. Like if he wanted to stay for two more years and figure it out, like at his number that he re-signed to, like it's a little big and it's a bit too high for what he contributes. But I do think the player's in there. Maybe he just, yeah. he just, just needs a summer to kind of reset. Maybe some changes in the squad, over the uh, over the summer and you know redefining his role and refining his confidence after kind of putting that jersey away right like maybe Messi coming back and taking the 10 away from him is helpful like there's so many factors that say he lost his confidence so and he's fully healthy the club says he's fully healthy there are these there are these hypotheticals these positive hypotheticals that exist that he does find himself again but at the club in the next two years but again like I yeah, if the club was willing to wait for Demolay, why can't they wait for Ansu? So I, there definitely is a like other side of the coin here. I just feel like football is a business at this moment, and Barca's financially their back is up against the wall. Like they weren't with Bartomeu, and well, they were, but you know, with Bartomeu and Demolay, that well, they just chose to ignore it. When, exactly. when Bartomeu was like, I just think they're not going to ignore that 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 pain point now. So everything you're saying makes sense. The this has been my favorite drum to beat all season. So, you know, I would urge anyone to go back and listen to any other previous episode of the podcast where I've been on and we've talked about Ansu Fati. My, my whole thing has been, especially even now with Lewandowski is, I mean, kind of a shell of his early season self. Uh, Ferran Torres is, well, we'll get to him in a minute. Rafinha is playing very well of late. And I have hoped that in this in this last dozen games, you're up 12 with 12 to play in La Liga. All I've been saying is 
just make a commitment to see what's there. You know, I mean, if it's just at this point they're doing, and I mean, I, I wrote an article recently to this effect was like either sell him for a big fee and get some money, pay down some of that debt and you know, whatever, or play him. But by not playing him and not selling him, you're both not helping the club's finances, nor clearing up space on the roster, nor putting him in any kind of position to regain his footing and succeed. I mean, this matter of, I mean, what's happened with Ansu Fati this season is, for me, sports-wise, it's one of the gr greatest kind of like, you know, personnel crimes of omission that I've seen. It's just, it's it's one thing, and I think I said it with you, that it was, say what you will about the Bartomeu era, and there is so much to say, but at the very least, you could say they were trying to do stuff. You know? The, the, wait, wait, wait. I actually do want to push back a little because Ansu has played over a thousand minutes this season. Like, it's like his lack of numbers, like, those are real. Like, his lack of, like, goal contributions, <laughs> things like that. Like, he has played, like, a lot of minutes. So it's like, because it, it, the way you're setting up your argument, it just sounds like that we're almost putting blame on Xavi for no. that, that opportunity. But I'm not sure. Like, I feel like he has been on the field, like, a long time. I know it's not as a starter, and you would kind of want to... I know, and, and I think it's that. I And you you are correct. And, I mean, honestly, in my in my brain, when you said that, it, it took a second. It doesn't... That that's a that was a blind spot of mine where it doesn't feel like he has. You know what right. I mean? I it's, you. Um, yeah. And so I mean, it, it, and so I mean, we can kind of transition a little bit to the to the Ferran Torres thing. Here. Well, actually, I mean, I'm actually going to cancel Ferran because like, we are running out of time. So okay, so I mean, I was essentially going to say be, between the two of them. I mean, I understand where Ansu theoretically, from a financial perspective, probably has the most resale value. Maybe so, by 20, even twenty million more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but if you if you have to if you have to do the business, I understand where you know selling Ansu makes more sense than selling Ferran Torres. But get rid of Ferran Torres. I I would make every attempt to maybe replace Ferran Torres with someone else and give Ansu some of those minutes. And you know whoever you replace him with. I mean, ideally replace him with like a Luke De Young type. You know, just sort of a just a bench a bench attacker who. You know, can kind of sop up some minutes. I mean, selling Ansu over Farron also means because he's an academy product, you get all of that. Like that comes right to you. Um, yeah, yeah. There's no. I don't know. I mean, the the case that you laid out, it, it sadly, sadly makes it makes yeah. logical sense. My my hope is though that Ansu is a regular. I mean, if not every single match, is a regular starter for the stretch run and, but just a regular consistent starter where you have an idea of, you know, you're going to be on, on the pitch when the, when the clock begins and you sort of can prepare for a match that way, because in the absence of Dembele and with Lewandowski looking how he looks and Torres looking how he looks there, there's no excuse to not start him and give him some serious run. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, Ponchu asks kind of on the, the topic of a big sale, as we kind of keep this going, you know, people are saying Farron and Fati, uh, which we already just talked about here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the interesting thing is, again, as I mentioned, economically, it's kind of going back to this. It's still Frankie de Young as that quote unquote big sale, because this is shocking to me. Pedri, Christensen, Araujo, Gabi and Roberto, those five players together equaled de Young's wages. Or if you want to do it another way, Ansu, Dembele and Farron Torres. Again, together, those three, Ansu, Dembele, and Ferran Torres together is Frankie yeah. de Young. So, I mean, that's how shockingly high Frankie de Young's wages are in comparison to many of his teammates. Again, Pedri, Christensen, Araujo, Gabi, Roberto, all five together is the same I number. Mean, and then, I, I do always wish, I mean, I wish there was sort of a contract restructuring type of thing, like what NFL teams do all the time, where you could just effectively amort, you know, give him a long-term extension, but just cut his salary in half or by two thirds because yeah, because I mean, again, that, that number is, is sort of a, it's this horrible ghost from a completely asinine fever yeah. dream that, you yeah, know, I just mean, refuses to go away. Around the rest of world football, like it is an absolute albatross. Like for, I do think, Oh man, city throws tons of wages at their players, but they have huge sign on bonuses and different things like behind the scenes. So, so Kevin DeBorne, who makes like 20.8 reported, we obviously know that number is much higher behind the scenes in a way that Lewandowski's 20.8 up front is 20.8 and Jordi Alba's 20.8 is 20.8 up front. Same thing with Busquets at 37.5. Point, point 
uh, which is, again, the same as Frankie de Young. So speaking of Jordi Alba, by the way, this is glass half full about a big sale <laughs> because Jordi Alba won't feel like a huge sale because of his age, because of the, the way that he is no longer even a starter, Baldi's a starter. But he is third on a team making 20.8 mil. So he is a huge sale with one year left on his deal in terms of like financial relief for next season. And he is also, whether you want to admit it or not, he is a club legend. Like by you, I mean like Ustedes, like everybody. So, I mean, it's again, it's one of those things where fans are like, I mean, how is Alba a huge sale? But I can promise you the club around the, the club's PR, the club itself is going to say this legend is leaving a captain of the team changes in the air, right? It's going to be this whole fanfare and this whole something because of what he's meant to Barcelona. And that's what so they're going to say. It's a huge sale. So there is this glass half full where fans are going to be like, Oh, we made a huge sale, but it was just like a club legend leaving in Alba who was ready to go. And I mean, I think that's glass half full, but then for the rest of it, I ask. Whose exit economically actually helps? Like, and I, that's why I mentioned De Young and Albert, his number for one more year, of course. But like, even Rafinha, he came on a pretty big transfer number, and I think another team just matches that. It doesn't like. I don't think he's done something this year to make another team pay more than that transfer fee. And he's on twelve point five mil a year, which if he if he wanted to like say go to Chelsea, he'd fit as fourth in their salary structure behind Sterling, Koulibaly, and, and Reece James. So believe it or not, like again, the Premier League teams pay more in these bonuses and on the back end stuff that doesn't really get reported as part of the wage, the wage limit in a way that Barca's players don't because of like financial transparency that's requ- required in La Liga. So like Rafinha in other teams' wage structures would actually be like top third of every Premier League team, like when I looked at it. But the way he fits in Barca's wage structure... Like getting rid of him doesn't really give Barcelona, believe it or not, like that much financial cushion. Like again, their big thing is getting that wage limit up based on their revenue. Like that's why, again, before the last two seasons, Real Madrid and Barcelona, Bartomeu had so much wiggle room to hang himself with pre-COVID because those two teams and their revenue is just so astronomical. Like again, like revenue that Barcelona brings in affords them the wage limit that they have. So it's like if their wage limit, if their revenue, let's say, goes back to close to a billion the wage limit that they're at 12.5 mil for Rafinha, again, fits in a reasonable structure based on a club bringing in that kind of revenue. And as I've said many times, like when you go down the rest of the roster too, selling Eric Garcia and bringing in Inigo Martinez for like 2 million more. So Eric makes around what, five or six, and then bringing Inigo Martinez in for like 8 mil, that moves the needle a little bit in terms of like the, the quality of your squad. But like, that's not a big sale of Eric Garcia. And then as we kind of talked about, you mentioned, like you'd sprinkled in here, Christensen and those rumors about is he going to stay or go and like getting offers for him. And that's interesting to me because selling Christensen or Kunde would get you a really nice transfer fee. Those two more than I think anybody else gets you a big number. But again, with depth already being an issue, especially on that back line, I mean, and who knows what Barcelona going to do it right back. I wouldn't part with either of those two players in the offseason. Like I would desperately try to hang on to them because I think the wage bill will actually recover and the club no- won't need to think twice about selling those players, right? I think those are really... Pedri is not going anywhere, and the Gabi to Bayern Munich and Gabi stuff, <laughs> that is the English media taking something and running with it. Like, he's saying... Oh, yeah. Look, the, like, the Athletic I, is having an absolute field day, day with this I'm stuff. disappointed in them. If we're just so calling out by name, I am disappointed yeah. a bit in the Athletic because they are... Um, they have a lot of great stuff, and a lot of their writers are fantastic. A lot of their content, mm-hmm. TIFO, like, a lot of the ways in which they branch mm-hmm. out, like, there are so Agreed. much of news that I get, podcasts I listen to, and stuff I receive is connected to the athletic. It would be an honor to be connected to the athletic. But yes, I'm disappointed in some of their like opinion pieces that are being able to go in the same direction. Like I listen, I, I feel the same way about in the United States, like about the New York Times and things like that. You yep. can say like, hey, we are respectable journalists and we try to report on this. And then you read an editorial piece or an opinion piece. And yeah, the op-eds. Like, what and just, the yeah. heck? Who greenlit this? And I feel like yeah. you're absolutely right. As athletic, it's like that sometimes. Where it's like, you know, like, why are you letting editorial go in this direction? I know it's creating clicks and I know why you're doing it. You have to do it because you have to create the clicks. Yep. And like, as I've said many times, like I am nothing. I'm a podcaster. I'm a talking head who just has an opinion and doesn't have any, you know, yeah. I don't speak Adeline. So I have no inside connections on the club other than like a few like connections or pieces I have that yeah. again, news I have does not affect anybody. Like, I don't know anything about messy or anything like that. But I mean, yeah. I try to uphold myself to a certain standard and don't pop off about certain things about other clothes. But like, yeah, no, I yeah. agree. It's a little bit frustrating. But th- there's a little aside there. But the final point there, too, to ask about Frederick, I'm going to wrap that up as you kind of also respond, 
is it wrong to say that Christensen has been the best defender this season? So that's a little food for thought there as you go to answer this thing about Christensen. Even in a vacuum, I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to say. I mean, I think Balde's got a shout, I think, throughout. Relative to expectations, yes, I think. I mean, Balde might have him there as well, but... Look, Araujo is what he is when he's healthy, and he's just an absolute colossus. He's a rock. He's outstanding. But given the amount of time that he's missed and what Christensen's been able to do stepping in, I mean, you could probably say, I mean, you maybe have to grade on a little bit of a curve because I don't think at his at his peak he's not what Araujo is or even what Kunde is. But I think he's just, yeah, he's been fantastic. And I don't know that we necessarily – harbored any of these expectations for him coming into the season. Yeah, I still feel like it's Araujo as the team's best defender. Like, I think there's an argument that was made by Frederick. He said, is he the most reliable? I mean, yes and no. He also did have some injuries. He's hurt again. So mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, and the, the team's ceiling was raised with Araujo. Like, that's why I say, like, if Araujo was healthy, Barcelona yeah. would still be in the Champions League. Like, with or without Christensen. Like, Christensen was in those games. So, yeah, that's a tough one. So, Tomas here says, with all the lone players, as we have two things left. So, we're trying to get out of this. We're not going to do it in under an hour, but we did our best. So, Tomas says, with all the lone players coming back, who do you see having a spot in the team? And who do we have to sell if there is an overbooking in their place? Now, we're talking really about just Abde and Nico, I think. Everybody else, like Lingley, like Umtiti, like, don't worry about them. But Abde and Nico is who you're talking about here. Dest, yeah, even Dest, I, as I said, he's gone. So Abde and Nico, who you're talking about here, and Abde, interestingly enough, as much as he seems to be going viral with some of his goals and successes this year, he's only started about half of the game to Osasuna, playing just under half of the minutes. 23 appearances this season, three goals, one in the Liga, two in the Copa, with two assists. He's 21 now, turning 22 in December. And at his number, I think he makes like between three and five million per year. So he would perfectly fit into the wage structure as like the sixth attacker. But it's also like, is he even ready to be relied on as like the sixth attacker? Is he willing to do that? Or is it better for him to be a top, like a, to work his way to be a starter in Osasuna or a Real Sociedad or a Real Betis, right? And become um, a player in the La Liga, add for a top six team or a top eight team and, you know, work his way into that by 22, 23, 24. So I'm not sure if he's ready. Like people say he's ready, but they say he's ready based on clips. And I watch full games and it's like, he does the dribble thing. He unbalances the opposition. And you'd have to say, yeah, if he had more clinical teammates, then he would create more opportunities. He did it at the World Cup as well. Like he was fantastic in these, these individual moments. But there's also this world where he doesn't make the most of those individual moments, which happens a lot. You know, there are a lot of games where he doesn't make that viral dribble or that that moment that unlocks a game. And then you're like, well, you know, what's what is he contributing? Right. I think he Yeah, at this point he goes. Unlike the opposite of Rafinha, I think Abbe can almost go too long still as a young player between having an impact. So, I mean, I think another loan would be good for him next season. I don't know how he how he comes in and overtakes. Like, you could argue, oh, but he's been better than Ansu and Ferran Torres. But, like, his numbers are pretty similar <laughs> to what to what they're doing even this season. And the expectations are, like, again, he's also older than Ansu. So, like, right? So, it's, like, numbers-wise even, even though he's played less first-team football. And then the other one is Nico. And I asked the question at Valencia going into that loan, can he dictate the tempo of a game? Can he learn that skill? Can he adapt to that? And my answer watching at Valencia, even though he was hurt for the last two months, it continues to be no. He's a runner. That's who he is. He is somebody that presses well and makes space for others. And unlike the early days in the academy, even to like the U16s, the cadet odds, he would always play up, but he, he always seemed to have an ability to, to play these long balls, to his short field passing was great. His goal-scoring threat was was there, even if it wasn't a big number. Still made things difficult in the final third. But he's no longer really a standout player on the ball anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, he is this this thing, this cog that fits together in these systems. And yep. again, he runs for other players, but he runs for his pivots. Again, I think he presses at a really high level and would do great under Xavi. But I don't know what he contributes that Gavi doesn't contribute at, the, at a higher level. I think Nico yeah. he might be a backup, but club bought. Well, I think that's. I think that's what it is. I think either of them is. You you sort Nico of laid out Kessie, right? I think that's what it is. It's Nico or Kessie. It's not both. Right, and but but in the case of the the two returning loanies, it's either your your sixth attacker. You know what I mean? Like a, a bench option 
as a as sort of a, a super sub or just a a change of pace guy, you know, they make sense. Or as you said, maybe Nico is just essentially depth for Gabi. He's I mean, you're not replacing Gabi, but he's some some manner of Gabi insurance, you know. And I mean, I think it would be one of the two of them. For me, it probably makes more sense. Oof, God. I don't know. I've, I've been I've been underwhelmed by by Nico a lot this season, so I would say Abde, but I wouldn't feel delighted. Yeah, I mean, listen, there is a world where the club does sell onto, and then you're like, okay, well, they do, there's not that much happening on the left, so you do need that player. But again, I also like look at not saying there's a, a, a certain player in particular, but like there's Astanas Pedrola. If they're going to try to give like Laminia Mall five appearances next year or seven appearances yeah. on the right wing, you know, then you just say it's a couple Del Rey match. Like Dembele is going to start on the left because yep. we're playing a third division side. So Lamine uh, Mall is going to start on the, the right. You know what I mean? Or um, yep. Padrola, who's kind of been pushing on the door is a left winger. I think he's been as just as good as Abde was for, for Barca athletic, you know, is, and he has been this year. So I, I think that if you're looking for eight games, Right, ten games as the the backup backup left back, then not be the case. Because again, I don't yeah, think Aaron exactly. both leave. Uh, then again, Dembele's ability to play on the right, the left side, because there are questions on how are you going to afford with Dembele and Rafinha both on the right. Like, will there be big changes there? You know, then we we started this thing with the messy question too. So, I don't know complicated things, but I think with the value that you might be able to get for Abde, like if a club's willing to take twenty five mil in the Premier League, you know, like a, a West Ham or yeah. uh, that level of Fulham, like then you say. Wait, 15, 20 million for that player? Like, okay, we'll, we'll take that. You know, yeah, that might be the greatest value that he offers at this moment in yeah. time. They bought him for what, less than two mil, right? Something like, like that, that, yeah. From Hercules, right? So, okay, last thing, not a question, just a final little thing we have to mention. There is some good news, a lot of bad news here in the show about Bansu and things like that, but good news. Alexi Buteus has returned to group training. And oh, like, yes. <laughs> I guess the bad news to that was that I think the club this is a perfect time for her to return because the club needed a 77 minute. PK from Rolfor to beat Real Madrid, one nothing. So I was uh, so I was at that match, and yeah. uh, now the the squad that was initially put out wasn't the 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 best version of itself. Well, well let's uh, add a caveat too that Mariona and Claudio Pina are were both hurt for both of the games. Yeah, last so Mariona week. and Pina are both hurt. Uh, Carolyn Graham Hansen did not start. Say, unlike that hat trick that I raved about in her return match yes. in the 12 minutes, she actually does not seem to be as fully fit as he was when she scored that hat trick. So mm. to think of like that she was only at like 40% when she scored that trick makes yeah. it even more impressive, but she clearly is not fully fit based on the rotations and the minutes she's playing right now. Um, well, I think there was actually, well, tomorrow night is Camp Nou second leg against Roma. Yeah, so I think this, I don't, I don't think it was because what she did, uh, I mean, there's one play that stands out in particular in the first leg in Rome, where she absolutely roasted two people in a basically in what would be a small phone booth and sort of nonchalantly flicked a shot that required a save that would have that was goal bound. I mean, I think that was honestly just she's been back. She's, you know, this was her what her fourth match since since coming back. And you need her. I think it was rest. But, you know, you. You give her a bit of a run out because Paredes didn't start. She didn't start. Oshwala didn't start. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this was, I mean, it's it's a grotesque thing to say with all the talent that is still out there. But I mean, it, this was very much the sort of we're, we're kind of resting the some of the yeah. starters kind of thing ahead well, of the. Even against Roma, it was like, what can we make on the road in Italy? Because yeah. like, again, this is last Tuesday. They snuck past Roma one nothing from a first half goal, yeah. despite out shooting them 33 to 10. And I know it's one of those, it, it was so uncharacteristically um, not ruthless. You know, they're, yeah. they're finished. And honestly, some of the saves too, that the Roma keeper made were, right, yeah. were absolutely astounding. Yeah. Because but I mean, it was, they, it was a weird game though. Cause I felt like it was disjointed. It had a lot of Barca yeah. fouls. Like Barca were committing the fouls, not even Roma. Oh, totally. I yeah. mean, it was like an absurd number of fouls for them. It was just like, Again, 70% of possession, but then they would lose it and then immediately foul. So, like, it's not like their counterpress didn't really work that well. Like, again, they were fouling the second they lost it, and then that would just be disjointed. So, I don't know. Like, part of me said that maybe Vicky Lasada, who was on that Roma bench, to remind you, she might know a thing or two about kind of trying to unbalance that team. And I don't know. Maybe maybe something helped. 
Look, I, I I do hear that, but I I would say I actually wrote about this game for for Defector, the aftermath of it, and so there was a span of twenty minutes, um, sort of leading up to the goal, in which there was seven legitimately good chances uh, for Barca to score, and then Oshwala alone had five good to great chances in the first twenty minutes of the second half. Two of them absolutely should have been goals. Two of them. Well, one of them, she forced an incredible save. And the other one, she was literally facing away from the goal and tried to, in midair, backheel the ball towards the towards the net. So, I mean, that's... No, they did, they did not by any means play their best game. But even against Madrid, look, I think they... You don't want to make a habit of it, but it's been good to see them at least run into these little bits of adversity, whether it's, you know, kind of the... To use the basketball term, like your shots, not, your shots aren't falling or... You know, in the case of Madrid, I mean, Madrid defensively played pretty well. I mean, it, Barca peppered the Rome, Roma goal much more than they did uh, the Madrid goal on Saturday night. But I think the, the performance against Madrid a little bit was um, kind of make sure, you know, circle the wagons, make sure everyone everyone who is healthy and available is as healthy as possible going into, you know, whatever, another, another night with what presumably is going to be like 90,000 at, at Camp Nou. And like, this is the big one, you know what I mean? Then yeah. sort of the, we're, we're at the part, the, the season comes down to four, at most four matches over the next two months. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you don't yeah. want to lose the home, you know, the, the league winning streak, which is what, 58 or whatever now. So, I mean, obviously you don't want to, you don't want to drop a, a league game, but it really, it comes down to the second leg against Roma. Presumably you go through. Semis against either Chelsea or uh, Lyon, and then whoever whoever in the final, assuming you get there, it is, it is Lyon. Lyon rematch again. That is that's that's one big. It's big one big. of the two finalists, yeah. either the the team they beat in the final or the team that they've lost to in the other two finals. Exactly. Yep. So anyway, yeah, in the league they are up by thirteen points on Real Madrid. Real Madrid certainly much better. Eighteen wins for them, two draws. Three losses, which is great, but uh, Barcelona. It is, it is worth noting that wins, the, the thirteen-point lead kind of undersells the dominance that the ninety-four to six uh, goals for and against uh, yeah, really five, kind of hammer home. Yeah, ninety. Well, ninety-nine to five. So 90, oh, 99 to five. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ninety-four is the point. There, well, right? I think for the whole season, they're they're at something like what is it? I think it's like a hundred and I think it's one hundred and thirty-four to twelve or something in yeah. all competitions. 12 goals. My goodness. All right. So that'll wrap it up for this, <laughs> for this, for this edition of the show. You follow him on Twitter, the show notes below. If you're still with us again. You know where to find us, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. So again, these listener question shows always take the longest, but it gives us the most material. And if you're following us on TikTok, it definitely gives me the most TikTok. And uh, thanks for my uh, editor, Anissa, over there for helping <laughs> with that stuff. So a lot of different stuff to pick from this to use over there. So we're on YouTube as well. I do plan on having something probably tomorrow. Um, likely on Ansu Fati or at least some head news of the day, things like that. So look out for that on the YouTube channel. Then Patreon is how I keep making these shows. A few new Patreons as well as a few new people in Discord who also like join the Patreon page. So really appreciate the people who have continued to, to join in as hopefully, again, Barcelona are looking to win some trophies and the buzz about Barcelona continues to build up after what was, yeah, probably a pretty negative two or three years. So it's been <laughs> exciting uh, this season for sure. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Barcelona. Barcelona. Barcelona.